Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. So we are on the second week of this two-week series about knowing and doing the will of God. Uh, so just to recap, last week uh, we started out, uh, I, I was just sharing my, my personal journey of, of not really caring so much about God's will um, or, or what He wanted from my life, and then Him really convicting and sharing with me that I, I needed to care about that. Um, you know, like one example is my wife. I love my wife so much, right? And because I love her, I want to know what she wants from me. I want to do things for her. I want to do her will. And just like our relationship with Jesus, if we really love Jesus, we should want to do His will. So the Lord brought this to my attention, and then I start asking myself, what is God's will? And I, I start to learn about His sovereign will, and that He has one, that He has this plan for the universe. But that doesn't really concern me so much as, as His will of command, and that is His will for my life, these little things that I can do to be obedient to Him. Uh, so we talked about the sovereign will that, that God has for the universe and then His will of command that He brings to attention through His Word. As we spend time in His Word, he, he gives us these things that we should do, these things that we shouldn't do. And then we also talked about how He puts us in circumstances where we can learn about things that, or, or where we can apply these things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. Uh, so He gives us these circumstances where we can be obedient, and that's kind of where we pick up this week. So before we jump into that discussion, let's just go ahead and, and pray. Lord, we thank you just for this opportunity to uh, open up your word and explore uh, discerning your will and doing your will. Uh, I just pray that you would make your will clear to us. Uh, you'd give us courage to be obedient. And ultimately, Lord, we pray that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Um, in my personal reading of the word, God was so gracious and really in guiding this conversation because I, I happen to be in the Minor Prophets, specifically Jonah. Uh, and this is a fantastic example of God's sovereign will for the world and his will of command playing out together. If you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, God had this plan to display his compassion for this city. There's a city, Nineveh, where people did horrible, horrible things. And God wanted to display compassion for those people if they repented. So he sent uh, his prophet, Jonah, uh, to go tell these people, you need to repent or God will cast judgment on you. But Jonah didn't want to be a part of God's plan. He didn't want to be part of that, that will. So he started to run. And he was going on a ship to Tarshish, this place that's far away from Nineveh. And, uh, and then the storm comes and the sea tosses the ship. And then Jonah, to calm God, uh, jumps into the sea. And then it says, God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. Uh, and Jonah's inside this fish, and uh, he's in there for three days. And then while he's in there, he uh, basically relents, and he just says, Okay, Lord, I'll do it, you know. And then he goes to Nineveh, and he kind of half-heartedly tells the Ninevites, You need to repent. Uh, this, this is what God wants from you, for you. <laughs> and they repent. And then Jonah, being so angry that God did show his compassion to the Ninevites, he goes up on this hill, and he's waiting to watch and see if God will destroy them. And he doesn't, but what does God do? He sends a tree. It says he appoints a tree to grow and give Jonah shade. He's being gracious to Jonah. And Jonah's resting under this tree. And then in the middle of the night, it says he appoints a worm to kill the tree. Right? <laughs> so God has this wonderful story uh, called the book of Jonah. This story that we're going to read for thousands and thousands of years. 
And it's this wonderful uh, display of his compassion, of his grace for a people, and humans' lack of compassion and lack of grace apart from him. Now, God appoints many different things in that story. He appoints the seed and the, the storm. He appoints Jonah to a task. He appoints the Ninevites. He appoints a fish. He appoints a tree. He appoints uh, a worm. And all these things had a simple task to do. And I would bet that that worm didn't uh, take his task to eat the tree uh, and say to God, Lord, how does eating the roots of this tree play into your sovereign will? How does this accomplish your plan? No, he just did it, right? One, because he's a worm and worms don't talk, but uh, God had willed for this worm to do this, right? And it's the same way for us. God has a simple thing for us to do that unlike Jonah, we should be obedient to it. And then all of us being obedient to his will plays into this grand story, which is life. <laughs> so, sorry, that was a, a, a longer caveat, but I just thought God was so gracious in guiding this discussion and, and offering that as an example of his sovereign will and his will of command playing in together. Our primary um, passage for, for this uh, morning is Luke 18. So if you have a Bible, you're welcome to open up to that. And we'll also have uh, have the, the slide with the, mess, or with the word on it. So Luke 18 is the story of the rich young ruler, which is a pretty challenging passage for me. Um, it goes like this. Uh, uh, to give some context, there's a young man who comes to Jesus uh, late kind of in, in Jesus's mission. You know, it's three years of, of healing people and getting ready to go up to the cross. You know, there's this young man that comes up to him and he's asking him what he can do to inherit life. Uh, so here's the story. That it says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now last week, we gave an example of when Jesus told his disciples to do something, right? Uh, he, he had told them to serve one another, and at the end of serving one another, he had said, do these things and you will be happy, right? So uh, here we have somebody who Jesus tells him to do something and he doesn't do it and he walks away sad. So if you get nothing else from this message, remember this, do his will, be happy. Don't do his will, be sad. <laughs> and I know that's all fun and silly and everything, but, uh, but this, is, this is a great moment for clarity because often this gets tossed around is when Christ asks us to do something that we don't want to do, will often just say, well, Jesus just wants me to be happy, right? Which I have no qualms with. I totally agree with Jesus really does just want us to be happy. But he knows what's going to make us happy far better than we do. So if you get nothing else, do his will and you'll be happy. Don't do his will and you'll walk away sad. Jesus' encounter with the rich young man uh, has been subjected to a lot of scrutiny by me. <laughs> I've... I've put this passage through the ringer, uh, and I think simply because it hits a little too close to home for me. It's really tough 
for the reason that I have a lot of nice things that I really like a lot. Um, so I'll look at this passage and I'll say, well, Jesus doesn't actually ask him to give up these things. He's just asking him to be detached from them in his heart, you know. He doesn't actually need to give them up. He just needs to inwardly give them up. Uh, many of you liked the Bonhoeffer quote last week, so I thought I'd, I'd throw another one in the mix here. Speaking on this passage, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the theologian, says, Anywhere else in the world where a command is given, the situation is clear. A father says to a child, go to bed. The child knows exactly what to do. But a child drilled in pseudo-theology would have argued thus, Father says go to bed. He means you are tired. He does not want me to be tired but I can also overcome tiredness by going to play. So although Father says go to bed, what he really means is go play. I can tell you, if I had a child and that child said that to me, my response would not be gracious. <laughs> I would say it again, go to bed. And if you question me, if you argue me, there will be punishment. And that's the case in, in really all society. You know, a child argues with a parent. It's usually met with punishment. If, if we argue with authorities, sometimes it's met with a pun punishment. Yet, for some reason, I tend to think the situation is different only when it comes to Jesus. This passage in Luke is uh, one uh, where Jesus, one of many, where Jesus asks somebody to count the costs, right? All throughout Luke, Jesus is telling people to count the costs of following him, to ask themselves if they really have what it takes to follow him. He says in Luke 9, 23, And he said to all, If any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? He also says in Luke 14, 25 through 33, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation, he is not able to finish. And all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build what he was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is still yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now these are only a couple of many times that Jesus is telling people to count the costs. And I, I look at this encounter with the wealthy young man, and I tend to think, man, Jesus is really asking a lot of this guy. Like, he really wants a lot from him. But what's interesting is it's really no more than he asked of the other disciples, right? He asked Peter to, to leave behind the nets and to follow him. Yeah, but Peter didn't have as many possessions as this guy. Yeah, but he had, he had a wife and kids. What about Matthew? Jesus said to leave the tax booth and to follow him, and Matthew did. Tax collectors are pretty wealthy. You probably had quite a few possessions. Each of these men were given a simple command that demanded simple obedience. Follow me. Now, this isn't an easy command. It's not an easy thing to do. But it's a simple thing to do. Now, 
I want to ask you, were Peter and Matthew, were they saved by leaving their spot and following Jesus? Was Peter saved when he, when he left the boat to follow Jesus? Or Matthew when he left the booth? I, I don't believe so. I believe it wasn't what they did there that saved them. When Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter said to him, you are the Christ from God. I believe that's what saved Peter. Peter's faith in Jesus as his Lord, as his Savior, is what saved Peter. Not what he did. It was his faith in him. But I have to ask myself, would Peter have ever gotten there if he hadn't left the boat? If he hadn't obeyed Jesus, if he hadn't followed him, would he have ever had faith? See, Jesus knows that when we're obedient to him, we're met with deeper faith in him. The young man in Luke 18 says to Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him. He tells him the do's and don'ts in the word. Do this, don't do this. And the young man says, All these things I've done from my, from my youth. And then Jesus says, There's one thing that you haven't done. One thing that he lacked, and that was not detachment from his possessions, but attachment to himself. He told him to sell everything and to follow him. What Jesus didn't want was necessarily that he just be detached from the things of the world. What he wanted was this young man to be attached to himself, to Jesus. And Jesus knew for him to get there, he had to leave behind everything and follow him. He needed to believe. He would only believe if he took the step of simple obedience. And what I find especially sad about this story, what I find especially convicting in myself, is the question that the young man asked when he came to Jesus. He says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And sometime between Jesus selling, saying, sell everything you have and distribute it to the poor, and the young man walking away sad, that young man was counting the costs. In that little gap there, he's thinking about everything he has that he loves, everything he doesn't want to sell and give to the poor. He's thinking about what it's going to cost him in this temporary, ephemeral life, and he forgets that what it's really costing him is eternal life. He didn't count the true cost. Now, all of us, we have to take up a cross daily. Daily, I have to count the cost of following Jesus. And this is the beauty of the church. One of my favorite passages, Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to stir one another up in love and good deeds. We need to remind each other of the true cost. So often do I, I feel the Lord asking me to do something, and then I start thinking about how much I'm going to lose. And I, we need believers beside us to say, hey, it is worth it. There is a, a crown of glory, a seat at the table, an eternity with Jesus. Count the cost. Don't lose that. This is for us to do together. You know, there are some of us who have been feeling this, this compassion for the orphan, who have this 
open bedroom perhaps, who read in the word that we need to care for the orphan. And we've been feeling this from the Spirit that we need to do something about this, and we just need a fellow brother and sister in Christ to say, hey, I think you should adopt, or I think you should do foster care. Or some of us have been, our hearts have been hurting. We've been feeling compassion for those who have never heard the word of God, who have never even heard of Jesus. And we just need a fellow believer to come alongside us and say, hey, consider missions. This might be the Lord's will for you. Some of us worry about young people and their, their lack of knowledge of the truth. They're being trapped in the, the new age without having any discipleship in the word. Maybe the Lord's asking you to disciple young people and you just need a believer beside you to say, hey, go do it. That's a good thing. Count the cost. Go for it. These are just examples of things that, that we can encourage one another in. Steps of simple, not easy, but simple obedience we can take. I truly, I want all of us to practice simple obedience, to do the hard things that Christ asked us to do. Not so we look like activists, right? Not so we just look like we're doing a lot. Uh, you know, that's, that's a perk, that God's, God's love would be on display through his church. But I want all of us to dine together in the kingdom of heaven. That's what I want. I want to be with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in the kingdom of heaven. And I know that all of us will be there if we have faith in Jesus. We have a deep, dependent faith in Jesus. And I think he gets us there by asking us to take steps of obedience. Let me offer you a story kind of in close here. I, I like to view life really as, as a journey. Uh, and when you travel on a journey, uh, you learn pretty quickly what kind of traveler you are. You're either it's an about the journey kind of person or you're it's an about the destination kind of person. Um, I can tell you, I am the former. I am all about the journey. <laughs> um, what, there was this, a uh, couple years ago, I went on this trip with uh, some really close friends of mine, my buddies Tyler and Kale, and we were going on this backpacking trip in Arizona in May, and it was brutal. It was really hot, and we got sunburned, and we got blistered, and um, you know, it was a couple days, and by the time we're done, we get back to the car, and we've got like a nine-hour drive or something like that back to Grand Junction, and part of it's along Route 66, so there's a lot of stops to be had along the way, a lot of tourist traps. And I tell you, I am stopping at every single one. Like if they're just the stupidest, smallest things, I wanted to see it all. I wanted to get the most out of this journey. And, uh, and Tyler and Kale, my friends, you know, they smelled, so they wanted to shower. Uh, they were hungry because we'd been eating small meals over campfires. And, and uh, they wanted to get home. They were all about the destination. Rightfully so, I completely understand. But I was dragging this trip out. And they were so mad at me. Um, and I remember telling Kale at one point, his feet were just horribly blistered. He was like in a lot of pain. And I remember telling him, you know, Kale, sometimes you just got to stop to smell the flowers. And, uh, and I'll never uh, forget what he told me in response. I thought it was so witty and clever. He just, he looked at me and he said, I am going to kill you. <laughs> I, I, I love this phrase. You have to stop to smell the flowers. If you are about the journey kind of person, this is one of our favorite phrases. I love this phrase. Actually, really for two reasons. One, because, you know, what it means. Like, sometimes you got to pause to really enjoy life. you got to enjoy the journey. 
uh, but also because I love flowers, you know, believe it or not. Um, all kinds, peonies, roses, tulips, but my favorite flowers are poppies. Um, they hold a special place in my heart. I think they're so uh, dainty and elegant and just simple and beautiful. Uh, but they're also pretty nostalgic to me uh, because they're in The Wizard of Oz, which uh, I'm from Kansas, so The Wizard of Oz holds a, holds a special place in my heart. Um, being from Kansas, uh, if you tell people you're from Kansas, uh, they would ask you one of two questions. They would say, have you seen a tornado or have you seen The Wizard of Oz? And the first answer is no. And the second answer is yes, many times. And I love it. It's a great movie. Uh, so if you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to spoil it here. And many of you are probably thinking, where am I going? But I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, I'm going to spoil the movie for you, but it's been around for like 85 years. So that one's kind of on you. Um, but in the story, you have Dorothy, who's the hero. Um, and she is trapped in this land of Oz, right? And she just wants to get home so bad. And some people in Oz tell her, there's this guy in this emerald kingdom, this emerald city, who can help you get home. So Dorothy starts, they, they say, just follow this yellow brick road, right? And uh, that'll lead you to the emerald city. So she starts going, and along the way, she picks up some friends. And, and there's also, you know, th this, you know, witch who's chasing her. She's, it's all very silly and fun, but she's the bad guy, and she wants Dorothy's ruby slippers. So there's this part in the movie where Dorothy and her friends, they are at the foothills of, of the Emerald City. You know, she is so close to getting home. And, uh, and I'll, I'll play a, a clip here so you can see kind of what happens. And now, my beauty, something with poison in it, I think. With poison in it, but attractive to the eye and soothing to the smell. and we'll pull you along. Oh, no, please. I have to rest for just a minute. Toto, where's Toto? Oh, you can't rest now. We're nearly there. <laughs> Don't cry. You'll rust yourself again. Cover the thick of it. Forty wigs wouldn't be bad. Don't you start at coup. No. Uh, we ought to try and carry Dorothy. I don't think I could, but we could try. Len, yes. Oh, look at him. This is terrible. Here, Tin Man, help me. Oh, 
All right, so you see from that clip that Door of the Inner Friends, you know, Oz is in sight. It is right there. And right between them and Oz is this field of poppies. You know, and they start hauling. They're booking it. They're going straight toward Oz. And then what does Dorothy do? She stops to smell the flowers. She takes a break and starts smelling these flowers and the poppies start putting her to sleep. And it doesn't say this in the movie, but it says it in, in the book written by Frank L. Baum. But they say, uh, the poppies are killing us. Right? That's pretty intense. You know, this movie holds a special place in my heart. I love poppies because they're beautiful, but they've also got some symbolism to me. Because as a Christian, I'm trapped in a land that is not home. This place I'm in is not home. This world, this life, this temporary thing is not my home. And I am running with endurance this race set before me, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And sometimes I stop to smell the flowers, just as heaven is in sight. As the kingdom of heaven is upon me, I stop to smell the flowers which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, Jesus wants me to enjoy the world, wants me to enjoy my life, so long as it directs my gaze toward him. But as soon as it doesn't, the poppies start to kill me. They become dangerous. Things, when I'm fixated on my house or getting more things to put in my house. Oh, I love things. <laughs> when I'm fixated on I'm getting more education because I want to seem prestigious. Oh, that's a hard one. When I'm even fixated on my family. Again, not bad things. But when I start to think the poppy field is home, when I get comfortable there, and I forget I'm not home, the poppies get dangerous. And there truly is no place like home. <laughs> Let me close by going back to our core verse for these two weeks, and that's Matthew 7, 21 through 23. That is that uh, Jesus says, Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and perform many miracles? To them I'll say, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Now that's an intense passage, and Jesus follows it up with a parable of a man who builds his house on the rock. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does, does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great fall. The world is going to tell us that doing bold, simple things for Jesus is not wise. That I could get things stolen. I may be ostracized. I could lose my job. I could lose my house. I could be killed. But Jesus loves us so much and he is so so gracious to us that he tells us what true wisdom is he tells us what will really make us happy 
That wisdom is a man who puts the foundation of his life in having faith in Christ, knowing him as God, and simply obeying what he says. Lord, I am so grateful that you welcome us into your plan for the world, that you have a will for our lives, that you didn't just create us and just leave us here to do nothing, but you have a plan for us. And I'm grateful that you reveal that to us. Lord, I pray your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that you would be glorified by my life. We worship you. You are so good, Heavenly Father, in your name. Amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.